Do you uh, please bow your heads with me? Father God, we, uh, we lift up your name this morning as the King of Kings. You are our sovereign Lord, the author of life, the hope of the world, and the lover of our souls. We know you because you've revealed yourself by all that you have made and what you've written. And God, we long to know you, to be known by you, to make you known. In your wisdom, you've given all these things to the church so that the mystery of God may be revealed. As we come to know you more fully, we pray that you would fill our hearts with thanksgiving. As we see you more fully, let us praise you as we should. We ask that you take our breath away with your presence in our lives, that you'd help us to know you more fully, that our hearts can grow in gratitude. We have so much to be grateful for. Our lives belong to you. We are twice bought. You created us and you redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you. Father, we've come together as your church to worship you this morning. We ask that you would lead us in worship, that you would bless the children among us. We pray for our surrounding community, that you would give us favor and teach us to serve well, that many would come to faith in Christ. God, as we open your word, we pray that you would pour out your spirit, give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. We pray this for your glory and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been learning about Christian leadership. And we have been looking at uh, the lives of, you know, I got this new Bible today and it's not staying open. We kind of have to work on this a little bit. Um, we've been looking at the lives of some important people in Scripture, and uh, one of them was, uh, was Esther. So we learned about Esther and Mordecai in the book of Esther. And uh, in that book, Mordecai called on Esther to exercise her leadership. And she was going to lead faithfully in difficult circumstances. Famous quote, Esther 4.14, uh, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Now, last week, we learned about Peter's call to leadership. Jesus told Peter to feed his lambs, to care for his sheep, to feed his sheep. And uh, when Jesus did that, Peter was not only restored, but he was redeployed into leadership. And then years later, Peter issued his, his own call on some other people's lives. Famous quote, 1 Peter 5.2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. So Esther and Peter are great examples of accepting God's call on our lives, even though the circumstances are difficult and it might cost them everything. There are also examples of caring for others um, more than themselves and calling others to action. Well, this morning we're going to look at a different aspect in Christian leadership. Uh, we're going to be um, looking at um, Paul's letters to Timothy. So uh, in the 66 books of the Bible, there are 1st and 2nd Timothy. These are letters written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy uh, for the purpose. These, these are actually called the pastoral epistles, 1st, uh, 2nd Timothy and Titus. Uh, they are books uh, directed um, towards Timothy and then uh, the other one on Titus on Christian leadership. So we're going to be diving into those. And today as we open 1 Timothy 1, we're going to learn about good and bad Christian leadership. 
especially as it pertains to the, uh, teaching the Christian message. So the question of the day is this, what makes a good Christian leader? What makes a good Christian leader? And uh, we might also ask a follow-up question, um, how can I choose good leaders to follow? You can pass that next slide there. Um, so let's see what uh, the first chapter in 1 Timothy has to teach us. And uh, as we read through here, uh, Paul's letters, I don't know if you've done much reading in Paul's letters, but they can sometimes be hard to follow, and they're worse in the Greek than they are in English. They, he tends to not stop for, uh, for periods and, and just keep on going. And, and uh, so we're going to break this down to, in order for it to be a little easier for us to digest. So if we can go forward a, um, a couple of slides till we get to the breakdown. So what we have here is we have a greeting. Uh, that's in verses 1 through 2, and then a, an exhortation to stop bad teachers in 3 through 4, and then an explanation, and then uh, Paul's example, and then finally a final exhortation to fight the battle well. So that is where we're going um, right now. And uh, so we'll start with a greeting. Uh, and I think it's a fact that greetings are sort of out of vogue. Uh, there aren't, uh, we don't do a lot of, of long greetings and letters if someone... Uh, well, let's just say, when's the last time that you wrote a letter? Have you written a letter in the last week? How about the last month? Okay, a couple. How about the last year? Has anybody written a letter in the last year? Okay, now, have you done any sort of social media communication in the last year? <laughs> oh, come on. Let's... <laughs> yeah, so um, people don't tend to uh, write letters as much anymore. Uh, what we do is we... Uh, what do we do? We text, we email, sometimes. We Snapchat, we Instagram. What am I missing here? Twitter. What? Marco Polo. Oh, that's the one I've not quite figured out yet. Uh, yeah, so we, we do all these sorts of electronic communication. And when we do them, we typically omit the greeting. A lot of times, like if you text somebody, you know, you don't typically use their name sometimes, but not very often, and there's certainly not a long greeting. Part of that reason for that is we get so much electronic communication that we, um, we just don't want uh, them to be too long. Well, when, uh, in Paul's day, papyrus was the way to go. That was the, that was the deal, papyrus. And uh, greetings were in style. A typical greeting would include a sender and a recipient. And, uh, and so Paul began First uh, Timothy with Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. So in so doing, Paul identifies himself as an apostle. His authority is not given by a person or by the church. His authority comes directly from God through Christ. And in, in, in this way, uh, he is speaking with the authority of Christ in his letter. And so Paul speaks with confidence and hope and expectation. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy, and who is Timothy? Uh, if in the book of Acts, um, we first see Timothy in Acts 16, when Paul selects him as a traveling companion. And, and at that time, uh, Timothy was probably in his teens, maybe his early 20s. Um, Apparently, Paul's selection was prophetically confirmed by the Holy Spirit, um, and we might wonder, well, what was Timothy like? Is he someone we can identify with? Because that, that's who Paul is speaking to in this letter. And there are a few things that we do know about Timothy. We know that uh, he was a young man. Uh, we also know that he, and, and this uh, letter was written years later after Paul selected him, he was still considered young for his position. Um, 
Timothy was timid and uh, perhaps of uh, a frail constitution, both his youth and his timidity continued to plague Timothy in his uh, years later as he continued to serve with Paul. First um, Timothy 5.23, Paul encouraged Timothy to drink wine to help his stomach, alluding to Timothy's frequent illnesses. So when we think about Timothy, it's helpful to know that he's not a super saint. He is, uh, Timothy is, uh, is someone that we can identify with, both in his calling and in his weakness and his frailty. So it's helpful to know. And then there's this, as, as we're reading this, um, th- this uh, greeting, um, and this really intrigued me, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Have you ever invested spiritually in someone else's life, or has someone ever invested spiritually in your life? Um, this intrigued me, uh, as, as Paul considered Timothy his spiritual son, and I thought, who are my spiritual fathers and mothers? And who are my spiritual sons and daughters? We can have spiritual children, and, uh, and I don't know if someone's invested in your life or not, but that, that's, that's a good thing to look for. And I don't know if you've invested in someone else's life, but that's a good thing to do. Um, it was, uh, it's kind of a good and sweet thing to hear Paul call Timothy his, um, his spiritual son. Paul, or Timothy had been with Paul about 13 to 14 years now, and so that's a lot of life investment that had taken place. And then Paul reminded Timothy of three blessings, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, which is essentially the gospel. Uh, The reason why Timothy can have peace is because of God's grace and mercy in his life. Well, we're going to, and I know that uh, some people would take the whole message and talk about the greeting, but we're going to move on from the greeting to Paul's exhortation to Timothy. Uh, an exhortation is, is uh, someone urging you or appealing you to, to do something. And so Paul exhorted Timothy to stay in Ephesus. And this is not the first time Paul asked Timothy to stay in Ephesus. So he had, he had, when Paul was in Macedonia, he asked Timothy to stay in Ephesus. And now in the letter, he's doing the very same thing. He's asking Timothy to stay in Ephesus. And uh, in uh, 1 Timothy 3 through 4, uh, why should he stay in Ephesus? And Paul says, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So Paul wanted Timothy to stay in Ephesus to stop false teaching. That's why he's there. Um, And we should take just a minute to remind ourselves why Ephesus is so important. So uh, the church in Ephesus was first founded when Paul dropped Priscilla and Aquila off to help get the church started. And incidentally, uh, if you think church planting or starting churches is just for men, Priscilla's name was first. She was a church planter along with Aquila. So very cool. Acts 18, 18 through 22. But when Paul returned to Ephesus, he started a preaching ministry in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, I've heard some people say that, well, preaching isn't that important in church, and others think it is. Well, Paul evidently thought it was, and his, his preaching was so impactful and his teaching that he did this for two or three years, and what it did is it economically changed the situation in Ephesus. Now, think about that. Can you imagine if the preaching in a church 
changed the economic situation of the surrounding areas so much that people started rioting. The idol makers in Ephesus were rioting because Paul had impacted their living. People were turning to Christ. The church in Ephesus was growing, and it became a church planting church. They started sending people out, and they were starting churches in the surrounding area. Now, Ephesus was an important Roman town, but it became an important and strategic place for the church. But there was one problem. In Acts 20, 28, on his way to Jerusalem, Paul gives the Ephesian elders a warning. He told them, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers of. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day and with tears. So here we are five years after that incident, and Paul is urging Timothy to go back and fight the wolves. There are wolves that have broken into Ephesus, and Timothy, you need to go back and fight them. And by the way, some of these wolves were actually former leaders in the church. And they've done this in order to lead people astray so they can build up their own ministry, their own following. Uh, it's, it's about them. So Paul commanded Timothy to stop these teachers from spreading false doctrines. Now, when I think about the wolves in Ephesus, it seems that we have the, the very same problem in the church today. The church is plagued with false teaching. The church is plagued with people that, that want to change a tweak on the message in order to uh, either build their own following or for, for their own personal reasons, but they're not, uh, they're not okay with whatever is already written in Scripture. We need to repackage it. Uh, but the central message of Christ is the gospel. That's important to remember because sometimes when, uh, when we listen to, uh, uh, actually, if, if someone were to come up to you and said, what's your faith about? and puts you on the spot, what would you say? Well, there's the, the Lord's Supper, there's prayer, there's reading scripture, there, but it's about the gospel. That's what the centrality of our faith is about. We should know that message. And that's the message that is being distorted with myths and speculations. Well, Paul explains in uh, verses five through 11, and uh, he basically is saying, you know, there are two different tracks uh, that you can go on. Uh, one, uh, and he talks about the command of love, and the other is, uh, is what these false teachers are reporting. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, um, when I was in college, uh, I, I did a, uh, uh, a semester abroad in Germany, and uh, there were several of us that did some uh, traveling, and we, uh, we were looking on the train, and my German wasn't very good, and I, I don't know how good theirs was, but, but we would read and find out where this train's going. We're, we, we're so proud of ourselves, we figured the whole thing out. It was an overnight train. Uh, we're going to another country, I forget where. Uh, and uh, so we got on there. But what we didn't understand and didn't uh, know is that overnight, this train would become uncoupled. Part of the train was going to go to one city, and the other part was going to go to another city. So somewhere in the middle of the night, our part of the train went to another city that we never intended to go to. And that's sort of like what's happening here. You know, we, we all got on the same train. We're in the Ephesian church, 
but somewhere in the middle of the night, it's going to get uncoupled, and we want to make sure we're alert when that takes place, so we're going to the right place. And Paul says, well, the end of this command is love. So the telos of this command is love, uh, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So our destination is love, but that's not where our part of the train is heading, and we need to fix that. Verse 6, some have departed from these. They've left the path. They've uncoupled from the train. They've turned to meaningless talk. What they say has no value, but it's not harmless. Uh, It gets translated meaningless talk or vain teaching or variously, but it's not harmless. It's sort of like if we ate Twinkies every day and nothing else, what would happen to us? You can imagine. Actually, there, there, I think there's one of somebody who uh, just ate at McDonald's every day for a year and, and almost killed him. What will happen to us if we fill ourselves with empty spiritual calories? It's not harmless. And that's what was taking place here. So bad theology might make us spiritually, it might make us fat, but it won't make us spiritually healthy. So what's the motivation of these teachers to lead people astray? Well, they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or they so confidently affirm. They want to be teachers, and that itself could be good, but they don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand anything. So imagine um, you're in a Spanish class, and, uh, and the teacher doesn't really know Spanish, but pretends that... He did. And, uh, and so you're learning this, uh, this language that you thought was Spanish. And later you go to try it out and you turn out, turns out you don't actually know Spanish because this teacher was teaching the wrong thing. Well, that's what's taking place from these, um, these uh, spiritual teachers, spiritual leaders. And, um, and what we need to understand is this. Um, I don't know if you're excited about the word theology. It's the study of God. When we go to pray we should know who we're praying to. Um, If we believe that we're going to be saved into a relationship with God, we should know who God is. And so we want to study who God is, and there are two ways to know God. One is through what he's made um, and how he's worked in history. So that's, that's one way that God has definitely left his fingerprints on creation. It's hard to believe that everything just happened uh, without some intelligent design, but that won't get us as far as we need to go we, there's one other way God has made himself known, and that's through Scripture. And so this book of Scripture helps reveal who God is and how we can know him more fully, and that is the study of theology. We need to be interested in knowing who God is, and it, the, the answer is right in front of us. We can read it in Scripture. Well, Paul reminded us that the goal of our faith is love. Um, The wrong theological train will not get us to that goal. Um, But the central issue for the Ephesians and the burden Paul charged Timothy with was is this, uh, what purpose does the law have in our faith? So for Paul, this is the Old Testament, they had the law, these are the way, this is the way you should live according to the law, the religious law that he had. And, uh, and he said, you know, we know the law is good if one uses it properly. But the problem is the teachers are using it improperly. And, 
And Paul says, we also know the law is not made for the righteous, but for the lawbreaker. And then he has this whole list of people that the law is made for. Lawbreakers, rebels, ungodly, sinful, unholy, irreligious, those who kill their fathers and mothers. Let's stop there for just a minute. That's what the NIV says. The ESV says, uh, father and mother strikers. I believe that that is idiomatic for um, people who don't treat their parents very well. Um, the other night, uh, Ash and I were at a restaurant and a, 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 some parents were with their son and he was so clearly disdaining them and, and, um, and not treating them well. And uh, it just broke our hearts because they, they were trying to reach out to him and, and, uh, and he was not responding whatsoever. Um, that might have been uh, some of us as we're growing up. That might be our lot as parents when our kids are older, but we're, we're not to act in that way and that, that's on the list. Um, the sexually immoral, and the word for that actually is the word porneros, which, from which we get pornography now. We don't want to read that back into it, but that, that is definitely present in there, sexual immorality. And then um, those practicing homosexuality, the word is um, arsenicoites, uh, men who sleep with men. And I know that one in particular, and I don't want to derail us from the direction we're heading here, is a cultural hot button. I would just want to say this. Um, there are passages in scripture which say that we should not act on same-sex attraction. Um, but also, it's just one thing on the list here, and I would hope as Christians that we will love people really, really well, that we will love people who are attracted to the same sex, or love people who identify as gay, that we'll love them well, uh, while holding on to what we believe in scripture. Um, slave traders. You know, there are modern-day slave traders. There's, there's, that's like a, a big thing these days, and, uh, and that's on the list. Um, liars, perjurers, but whatever is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, the word for sound here is the same word that we get hygiene from. So uh, if, if we are going to have doctrine that has good hygiene, clean, good, solid, healthy doctrine, and the word doctrine is truth, so... Uh, the truth that is sound and healthy, it has to do with conforming to the gospel, considering the glory of the blessed God, uh, which Paul says he is entrusted with. So what does the law do? It helps us to see our sin. We may not like the stuff that's on that list. We may not agree with everything that's on that list. And, and culturally, we certainly don't. Uh, and it's really hard sometimes because there may be something on the list that's harder for us than something else. Um, but what the law does is said, you know, listen, you're not measuring up. And, and someone says, well, that's on the list. And it says that I, I have a problem. And the answer is, well, we all have a problem. We all have a problem with sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a problem. It's not like there's one person that lists that's worse than another person that lists. The law's purpose is to show us our faults and what's, what's wrong so that the gospel can be applied. If we just stop at, okay, I realize I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, that's a terrible place to hang out. That's worse than not even knowing that. But if we realize that there's something wrong with us, that can lead us to the next spot, which is real, realizing that Jesus died for us. That that shame and guilt doesn't need to stay there. It needs to go away. That we do not need to linger in depression. We do not need to worry. We are completely forgiven by the grace of Christ. That's an awesome place to be. That's where joy can be born. 
And if you're hanging out in that spot, and maybe you have struggle with self-talk, um, and, and saying the same thing over and over again, I'm not good enough, or I do this, and I can't keep stop doing it, and, and I'm just frustrated with it, and I, you know, I, I, I make myself sick, or, or whatever it is, um, the gospel says, well, yes, that's true, there is a problem, but you are completely forgiven. Your shame and guilt are completely washed away. And so you can live in a place of peace. You can have joy. And so the law helps us to see our sin and where we transgressed. But uh, Paul wants us to understand that this is personal. And, uh, and so he, he tells us in uh, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. And then he tells us why. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the word violent could also be insolent and prideful. It's, uh, it's the root for hubris. Um, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And he says, here's a trustworthy saying. I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the, it says, I'm first among sinners. If there was a line of sinners, I would be in front. And if we go back and look at what Paul did, he was responsible for murdering people. He was responsible for dragging people into prison. He was responsible for all kinds of terrible things. If we're looking at the list of, of vices, Paul wasn't first in line here. And then he says in verse 16, but for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. In other words, if I can be forgiven, is terrible as the things that I've done, you can be forgiven. The example of my life, he said, is should make anyone realize that they can be forgiven. Murdering, killing, and then, and then thinking that I'm justified in doing it. And, and, and separating families. Just awful things. But I was forgiven, and I'm the example. And then he has the doxology, praising God, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Praise God that he did that for me. I'm not hanging out in shame and fear and guilt and all those sorts of things, said Paul. I am, I am redeemed, I'm restored, and I'm redeployed, as are all Christian leaders, because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, if we change that uh, message, which is the gospel, um, to any degree and say, well, no, you need to measure up according to the law, which is what these teachers were saying, um, then eventually we realize um, either we need to change the law because we can't measure up, or we realize we can't meet the, the, uh, what the law says, and we live in a terrible place of, I can never meet it, I can never reach it, because this side of the cross, this side of, of, of death, we're not going to. 
And so that's a terrible place to be. And if you, if, you, if you break any part of the message, the whole thing breaks down. What we need to understand is, yes, we're a mess. But Christ has forgiven us. And that's the gospel. Well, Paul tells Timothy, you need to fight for this. Uh, verse 18, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Timothy, timid Timothy, Timothy who has health issues, Timothy who's young and feels like he doesn't have experience, fight the battle well. I'm sending you in the den of wolves, fight the battle well. Now, maybe some of us need to go out and fight the battle well, and we feel inadequate. We feel uh, too old, too young. Uh, We have health issues. We're not strong. But I believe those words are for us. We need to fight the battle well. And then he gives an example of a, a couple guys that made a, a shipwreck out of their faith. Um, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Um, and their struggle. But as, as we go through this passage, what we realize here, and the, and the thing that's being taught to us, is that the truth matters. Good theology matters. You know, the, uh, the women's retreat that's coming up is on theology. It's on the study of God, who God is. If you're able to go to that, uh, if you're a woman and you're able to go to that, I encourage you to go. Uh, I, I think that that will be a wonderful time. If you're in a small group and you're looking at, at content, uh, you know, a, a chunk of what we, uh, there are many good books that are written um, that are related to Christianity. But a chunk of what we should do should be studying scripture and learning who God is through the words in scripture. We need to know who God is. Um, what we, uh, Tozer uh, once said, uh, what we, um, who we think God is is the most important thing about us because it helps us with our own identity. Um, and then I just want to say this. Uh, you might be uh, good at prayer or you might be faithful in reading scripture, but I've rarely seen people that are both good, uh, that it comes naturally to them to, to uh, both read scripture and to pray. And it's really important that we hold these two disciplines together because if we just read scripture and we don't pray, we might gain head knowledge, but, uh, but it doesn't really activate our hearts as it should. And if we just pray and we don't read scripture, we oftentimes don't actually realize who we're praying to. We might pray things that are foolish and we don't understand. So uh, these are two Christian disciplines that, that, we need to, uh, that we need to hang on to. Well, um, we're going to uh, finish up with that thought. Um, if you're looking for a... a, a um, someone to follow, and that that might be someone to read, a podcast, anything else, make sure it's good teaching. And, um, And if anyone's following you, make sure you're teaching well. Let's pray. Father, uh, <clears throat> thank you for your word in First Timothy. Uh, thank you for thank you for the example of Timothy, a, a, a man who was not a super saint. Um, he was uh, he was a weak, uh, physically weak man who was young, and uh, and struggled. And yet he was faithful, Lord. Thank you for his example of faithfulness. And may we be so as well. Whatever, uh, whatever shortcomings we may have, Lord, we pray that you would use us as you did him. Uh, thank you for the example of Paul, 
calling Timothy a, a spiritual son and giving him instruction as he would uh, a, a natural son. Uh, Father, I pray for uh, the men and women in this congregation. I uh, pray that you would bless each of us and, and grow us closer to you, Lord. Help us to love your word and to, and to love to pray to you. In Christ's name, amen.